turn with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Turn me, give me as much volume as you can today. I, 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 I want to make sure I can hear me. Amen. Ecclesi, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. You're going to. Amen. Listen, God, in the last few weeks, in the last few weeks, God has been, he's been comforting. He's been encouraging. Uh, through the messages, he's been challenging. Uh, today, it's going to be a little more convicting. Uh, God has shown me some things that, 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 I, that is in my life that I need to work on in my life. And, and uh, sometimes, how many of y'all know sometimes you need, you need like, like Elijah, you need to be able to rest and get something to eat and, and, and to be pampered just a little bit and comforted a little bit. But then, then, like Elijah, you need to be challenged. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So that's, that's what we're going to do a little bit today. We're going to look more in the challenging department and find out why we're, why we're feeling the way we're feeling about our life. Why we're feeling the way we're feeling about our life. We're going to talk about uh, San, or excuse me, Solomon today. Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. God gave him a supernatural wisdom that he didn't give anybody else. And, and so we're going to read just several verses this morning, then I'll let you sit down, all right? So Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. In verse number 1, if you found your place, say amen. Solomon says, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. Vanity means empty. I said of laughter, it is mad. Of mirth, what doeth it? What, What good is it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good for the sons of men that they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. He said, listen, let me tell you what I did. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. And also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and and that of all sorts. In other words, wine, women, and song, pleasure, possessions, all of this stuff. He said, I got. So I was great and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever mine eyes desired... I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this is my portion of all my labor. Then, then, after I got all my stuff, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity. All was empty, he says. All was unfulfilling. All was unsatisfactory and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. There was no use. There was no gain. I turned myself to behold wisdom then. He said, I turned from stuff. Maybe fulfillment's not in possessions. I'm going to go to wisdom and and, and knowledge. Maybe if I know some stuff. Madness and folly. For what can the man do after the king, even that which has already been done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as the light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Now watch what, and now he's starting to come to a conclusion. 
And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I the more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also was vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. Now watch this. And how dieth the wise men? As the... He said, it doesn't matter how much knowledge I got. doesn't matter how much wisdom I attain. I'm going to die just like the next man. The, the educated will die just like the uneducated. The wise man will die just like the foolish man. So when it comes to the conclusion that, that, that all my possessions leave me empty, all the pleasure that I sought after has left me feeling wanting, and, and, and so I, I turn to wisdom and to knowledge and to information and to learn and grow. Maybe, maybe that's where it's at. He said, he said the smart guy's going to die like the dumb guy. It's all for naught. What's the point? That's what he's coming to the conclusion. What's the point? Now watch what the next, next three words, or excuse me, next four words. Read it with me. Therefore, I hated life. Say it with me. Therefore, I hated life. I hated my life. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll just, just speak to us today. Just pour your spirit upon us today. Open our eyes to truth today. God, will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here we have a man... <clears throat> Here we have a man who's, who's very wealthy. We have a man who's very powerful. We have a man who has everything there is to have, who has everything he's ever wanted. He said anything his eye wanted, he didn't hold back nothing. He got it, he bought it, he did it, he saw it. He experienced pleasure, he experienced, listen, popularity, he experienced power. He said, all of this I have. Not only that, I, I know some stuff. It's not that I'm an ignorant fool. I am, I am beyond measure wise and have a wisdom that is supernatural given by God. And he said, when I, when I, when I look at all this stuff and I, I look at all that I have, he says, I can't help but just, I hate my life. Man, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? What do you mean you hate your life? You got stuff, man. You got people waiting on your hand and foot. You got any kind of food you want. You got any kind of need you want. Man, you can buy any kind of chariot you want. You do. What do you mean you hate life? What are you crazy? What's, what, what, what do you hate about it? You know, it's amazing. I, I've, seen, I've seen people post on Facebook all the time. I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate, you know what? You remember, you remember several weeks ago when we were talking about suicide and and, 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 and we, were, we were sharing the information of, of, the, of the researchers and the doctors who are, are, are in, they're, they're, they're talking and interviewing the people who had tried to commit suicide, attempted suicide, and failed. And, and just about every one of them said this. They said, I didn't necessarily want to die. I just hated my life. I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. I hated my life. Now, this is, this, is, this is what we need to tackle today. 
You say, well, well, preacher, that's not nothing unusual. There's a lot of people that hate their life. Yeah, but there's not a lot of people that's like Solomon. You got let's, let's go back to the beginning of Solomon's life, and, and, and he is born into wealth, and he's born into the favor of God. God has his hand on Solomon. God has favor on Solomon. Do you realize there was a time in the relationship between God and Solomon that God asked Solomon, whatever you ask for, you just ask it and I'll give it. Do you know he never said that to David? He never said that to any of the prophets? Not one single human being in the Bible did God ever look at and say, ask me anything you want and I'll give you. But he said it to Solomon. Solomon, Solomon was close to God. Solomon had favor with God. Solomon built the temple and dedicated in such a way he knew how to worship God and be in God's presence. And God was all over Solomon. Had favor beyond measure. But as Solomon lived his life, and as Solomon went by and the days passed by, he began to drift from God. He, he began to marry he began to marry women from other nations, not out of love, but out of political reasons. He began to marry women from other nations and making covenants and treaties with them for commerce sake and for the economy's sake and for trade sake and for, uh, for uh, uh, peace treaties and that kind of thing. And as he allowed those women to come in from the other nations, he allowed their gods to come with them. He allowed their idols to come with them. He allowed their false worship to come with him. And little by little, little by little, he began to drift away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He began to drift away from the God who he had built the temple for. He began to drift away from the God who had given him everything. And his heart slowly got cold on God to the point that he decided, guys, now, now stay with me, I, I, I'm just setting the table. We're going to eat in just a minute, all right? But i got to set the table. To a point that the God that he worshipped, the God who had given him supernatural wisdom, the God who allowed this man to be world-renowned, the Queen of Sheba came and she said, I've heard about your wealth. I've heard about your riches. I've heard about your wisdom. And I just couldn't hardly believe it. I wanted to come see for myself. And you know what her conclusion was? She said, the half has not been told. She said, when I saw you go up into the house of the Lord. In other words, she saw Solomon go to church. She said, it took my breath away. You know why? Because the queen had been in temples before. And she'd been in tabernacles before, but she had never been in one with a cloud in it. And she went, and what I mean is the glory of God. If y'all don't, you're not familiar with that, read your Bible. She goes and she sees the glory of God. And she sees Solomon and all of his glory that God had given him. And now, now his heart has drifted. And now he has drifted so far from God that Solomon arrogantly thinks in his mind and his heart that I got this. I don't need God. Under the sun, you, you see that phrase, you see that phrase all through Ecclesiastes, under the sun, that means without God. I'm going to get me stuff, I'm going to find joy, I'm going to find happiness, I'm going to find fulfillment, I'm going to find what I'm looking for under the sun. That means here on earth, 
That means with what the earth has provided for. And you know what? He went and he searched and he experimented and he did and he acted upon all of his lusts and all of his desires and everything he wanted. And God allowed him to have everything this earth has to offer. And he said, I feel empty. You know why? Because he got God out of the picture. Do you realize halfway between chapter 1 and toward the end of chapter 2 that God is nowhere mentioned? He said, I got houses, I got land, I built towers, I built vineyards, I dug wells, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I didn't need God in my life, but guess what he found out? It left me empty. Here, by way of introduction, here's some things that we need to establish. Number one, God, it, listen, life without God in the picture is vain. Life without God in the picture is vain. The word vain means empty. Life without God is empty of fulfillment. Life without God is empty of joy. You say, preacher, I'm just happy where I am. Give it time. Give it time. There is pleasure in sin for a season. There is pleasure in things for a season, but it's not lasting and it's not fulfilling. Stuff will not bring you joy, ultimately. Possessions and people and relationships. Listen, you can buy a brand new car, but guess what? When you drive it off the lot, it's cheap. And it's going to rot and it's going to break down. It's going to do everything in this world is decaying, including us. Y'all with me? And, and, so, and so we are trying. Now, I know what you're thinking. Bless God, what, what in the world is Solomon doing? I tell you what, I can't believe Solomon being so arrogant and think he don't need God. He's no more arrogant than we are when we seek to live our life without God's direction. When we live every day and we don't pray and we don't talk to God and we don't spend time with God, you know what we're telling God? I don't need you. How arrogant is that? God, I got this. I'm running the show. I'm running my life. I don't need your guidance. I don't need your direction. I don't need your purpose. I don't need, I got this. I'm in charge. I've got the wheel. I'm the boss. How's that working for you, people? Are you enjoying your life? Or do you feel more like he did when he come to the conclusion, everything in my life has not brought me any joy or fulfillment or happiness. I hate my life. You know why? Because he found out life without God in the picture is vain. Not only that, here's the second thing we need to learn. And I'm going to give you the points, but this, we just got to establish this. Life without God in the picture is empty, it's vain. But then, here's the thing we need to understand about life. That God, God has given us life as a gift, and he expects us to appreciate it and enjoy it. Life, now listen, life is a gift from God and He expects us to appreciate it and enjoy it. God's not wanting us to go around just enduring life and getting by it. God's not pleased with that. Well, let me, let me give you a verse. Look in, look in verse number 24. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better, there is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor this also i saw that it was from the hand of god now what does that mean now eat and drink that's not mean let's go party it up eating is your basic needs drinking you have to drink water you have to eat food or you will die 
Eating and drinking is as important as breathing. I need a witness. And what God is saying, there's nothing better than to have something to eat. There's nothing better than to have some water to drink. There's nothing better to have what God has provided for you. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. That's not enough. That's not enough. God is not just saying, I'm going to give you the gift of food. I'm going to give you the gift of drink. I'm going to give you the gift of life and breath. But I'm going to give you the ability to enjoy it. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. You can have the money to buy the most expensive bed down at the store, but that won't give you sleep. You can, you can lay in between silk sheets on a gold bed and lay there night after night after night not having the ability to sleep because you're worrying yourself to death. You can buy a bed, but you can't buy sleep. You can have enough money to eat a carabas every day of your life, and you can have money to buy food, but it will not buy an appetite. You see, it's not just about stuff. It's not just about having things to enjoy. It's having the ability to enjoy it. You have people who are wealthy beyond our wildest imaginations, and yet they are unsatisfied, yet they are unfulfilled, yet they're sitting in mansions bigger than this building, and they are miserable, and they hate their life because they cannot find joy in what they have. But God wants you to enjoy life. Why are we not enjoying life then? If God expects us to and God has given us life, He has given us all things richly to enjoy, then what is the problem? I'll tell you the problem. We stop enjoying stuff when we stop appreciating things. When we stop appreciating the fact that God made us and God gives us air to breathe and God gives us food to eat. Listen, we're complaining about the car we don't have and we haven't thanked God for the shirt on our back and the shoes on our feet. And the things that we have, the very basic necessities of life, the very basic necessities and the needs of life, we're so arrogant to think that we've got this, and God is saying, I gave it to you. Y'all with me? So if God, if God wants us to enjoy life, if God wants us to enjoy life, He desires for His children to enjoy life. You remember what He did in the garden? He created the trees, the apples and the pears and the, and the strawberries and, 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 and the coconuts and, and, the, and the oranges and the, and the grapefruit and the tangerines. and He made all that stuff so they could eat and survive. Y'all with me? You eat to survive. With me? But then it says this. And he gave them trees that were pleasant to the... So what does that mean? That tells us right there that God did not just want... He didn't just want us to exist. He didn't just want us to survive. He wanted us to live. He wanted us to enjoy his creation. He wanted us to enjoy his life. He says in John 10, The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So here's my question. Here's my question. If God expects us and, 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 and he intends for his people to enjoy their lives, how, many, how is it that there are so many miserable Christians? How is it that there are so many Christians who are saved and born again and they know Jesus is their Savior, yet they are miserable? I'll tell you why. Because they're just 
like Solomon. Watch this now. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know this is going to get just a little chippy, but that's fine. We're good, all right? We, we're going to make it. We will survive, okay? We will survive this service. Are y'all with me? Here's the thing. When life's expectations don't match up with life experience, we get disappointed. Well, preacher, I thought by this time in my life I would have. I preach, I thought by this time in my life I would have been so-and-so or I had been this far in my life or I would be here or I would be there and we have all of these life expectations and we have all these things going on in our life and then, and then, and, and, and then life happens. And we stand here, we wake up one morning and all these expectations that we have, all these desires that we have, all these wants that we have, we pair it up with what we do have and then we realize, I hate my life. I hate what I'm experiencing. I hate what I have. You know why? Because somewhere along the line, we took God out of the picture. We ceased to ask God what He wanted. We ceased to ask God what His direction for our life is. We cease to ask God what his purpose for our life is. We cease to ask God, God, what do you want? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Are y'all with me? Now stay with me. I'm going somewhere. I promise I'm going somewhere. Somewhere along the line, we took over. Somewhere along the line, we moved God out of the driver's seat. And we keep him somewhere close. Now, we haven't kicked him out of the car. We got him in the car, but we don't want him in the, in the driver's seat because we've got our plans. We've got our own desires and we've got our own wants, but we need him close just in case something happens. And so, so, so now we have this list of expectations. Now we have this list of things that have not taken place in our life and have not happened in our life and did not turn out the way we thought it turned out or wanted it to turn out, and so now we're miserable. So what do we do? I think we go back to the beginning. I think we, I think we get things, we've, we've gotten things out of order. I think we need to go back and get our ducks in a row. So how do we do that? Let's start from the beginning. Number one. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, what do we need to do? <clears throat> we, need to, we need to recognize the origin of life. <clears throat> We need to recognize the origin of life. Say, preacher, what, what is the point you're trying to make? We need to recognize that God is God. Now, let me, let me read a verse. Let me read a verse. Watch this right here. Y'all still with me? Everybody breathing? Do like this. Go. All right. There we go. There we go. Psalm 100. <clears throat> Psalm 100. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Now, let's say that. Say it with me. Know ye that the Lord... Come on, everybody. Come on. Get with me. Get with me. The more you get with me, the quicker I'll go, okay? Know ye that the Lord... It is He that has... And not... We didn't start this thing. We did not bring ourselves into existence. We are not the Creator... We are the creature. That means we are not in charge. That means we are not the boss. 
One of the greatest things, when you're miserable with your life, one of the greatest things you could ever get and remember and recognize and learn and put in your head, you're not in charge. Now, you think you're in charge. You think you're in charge, and you try to act like you're in charge, and you try to do things your own way, and I promise you this, you'll end up like Solomon every time. You'll end up at the end of the road saying, I hate my life. Because you're not the boss. You're not in charge. God is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Somebody say amen. amen. Watch this. I got another one. It says Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Acts 17, 24. God that made the world. And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Preacher, what is the point? The point is that we have got to release control of our life and release being in charge and recognize that he is the boss. And it's not what we want with our life. It's what he wants with our life. And you say, well, I, well, well how am I going to be happy doing what he wants? Because he knows you better than you know yourself. Amen. How, how arrogant, how arrogant is it to think that we know ourselves more than he knows ourselves? God says, go this way. No, God, I, 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 I want to go this way. Now, why would God tell you to go this way? Because that's the best way. And that's the way that's going to bring joy. That's the way that's going to bring peace and fulfillment in your life. But guess what? The devil is going to paint a different picture. The devil is going to say, you want to go this way. And you know what we do? I say, I'm going to put me there. We've listened. And we don't want to let go. We don't want to release control of our life. We'll come in here and lie like a dog because we'll sing in the imitation, I surrender all. And you lying. You haven't surrendered anything. But you know what? He's the boss. I hate my life. Why do you hate your life? I think you forgot where life comes from. I think you've forgotten that it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think you've forgotten that God is the one who has his, your breath and my breath in his very hand. He is the boss. Say it with me. He is. He is. He's in charge. Well, then why do I feel the way he feels? Because he's going to let you do things your way so you can see that the way you're doing it is not the right way. The origin of life. God made all this stuff, guys. He spoke this world into existence. He created you. And if he created you, now watch this. There's something about God that we all need to understand. God never makes something without a plan. And he has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for everybody. He has a plan for every one of you in here, including me. So that brings us to number two. We need to go back and recognize where this all come from. I'm not in charge. I'm not the boss. I got to quit running my life. I got to quit acting like I'm in charge. I got to get from behind the wheel and put Jesus back in the, in the driver's seat of my life. He's in charge. I need to get that right. But then secondly, we need, to, we, need to, we need to do this. We need to understand the object of life. 
we need to remember the objective of life. What's the purpose of living? Turn with me, turn with me to Acts 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 17 real quickly. Real quickly, we're going we're gonna to look at some verses here. <clears throat> I saw this, and, and, and I about started crying. I ain't going to lie, because just, it just opened up a truth to me that I don't know why I'd never seen it before, like, like I'd seen it when I read this, but, but this is going to help you. Now you say, why is it so important that we understand the true objective of life? Why is it so important that we understand the true objective of life? Because too many of us are chasing the wrong thing. Too many of us are chasing that money. That's the objective, to get rich. Why do you want to get rich? So I can buy stuff. Well, guess what? Stuff will not make you happy. And when you find out the objective, you've been re- You ever heard the phrase, you spent your whole life climbing up the ladder to find out it was leaning against the wrong wall? How many of y'all have ever felt like that before? You see, that's what Solomon was doing. He was climbing up the ladder of success. He was climbing up the ladder of popularity. He was climbing up the ladder of fame. He was climbing up the ladder of entertainment. Man, whatever it was, he got, and when he got to the ladder, he realized there's nothing here. You see, his objective was wrong. Watch this right here. <clears throat> Watch this right here. Look in, in, in Luke 7, or excuse me, Acts 17. Do you have that? Y'all have that back there? Acts 17. Look what it says. God that made the world and all things therein. Now, how many of y'all would agree right now that God's the creator? Can we establish that? God's the creator. He's the boss. He's the architect. He's in charge. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. And hath made of one blood. Now, watch this now. Watch this. He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He's put everybody where he wants them. Here it is, guys. Here's the objective of life. That they should seek the Lord. Why did God put you where he put you, when he put you, where he put you, so you would seek the Lord? The objective of life is to seek the Lord. It's not to buy more stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. I would like some more stuff. Y'all with me? I, 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 I would like a candy apple red SS Camaro. Say amen right there. 67 Chevelle wouldn't hurt a thing in the world. Amen. Nothing wrong with stuff. I don't mind you having stuff. It's great to have stuff. He say, Richard, I, you know, uh, anyway, anyway, you, you get my point. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But when that becomes the objective, we forget. We forget that God put us on this earth. Now, here's the revelation. Here it is, guys. I looked up the word seek. It's more than just look for. It means to pursue. It means to desire. It means to want. Now, what does all that mean? Do you know what God wants from you? Do you know what God wants? Do you know why God puts you on this planet? Do you know what God wants? God wants you to want Him. God wants you to want Him. Listen, when I tied this in, when I tied this in to the needs of, of, of husbands in a marriage, Do you realize one of the greatest needs that a husband has in a marriage is for his wife to desire him? 
Listen, he, he can have disrespect from the whole world, but if his wife respects him and desires him and wants him and craves him, desires him physically, desires him emotionally and spiritually, listen, that makes a man the king of the world and he can walk over anything when his greatest love desires him. And you know what God is saying? He's saying, I want you to desire me. I want you to love me. I want you to want me. I want you to want me more than the stuff that I can give you. And you may tell you when we get all messed up, you may tell you when we'll get to a place where we're going to hate life is when we want the stuff more than the Savior, when we want what He can give more than Himself, and God will take the joy away, God will take the ability to enjoy the stuff away when you start wanting the stuff more than you want Him. And you may tell you why there's so many miserable Christians is we're chasing the stuff. We're chasing the stuff. We're chasing things. And we're chasing relationships. And we're chasing careers. And we're chasing possessions. And we're chasing power. And we're not chasing Him. And God says, I want you to want me. I want you to love me. I've created you to desire me and to seek after me. I want you to love me. What did Jesus say when they said, what is the number one commandment? It says this, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. What do you think God thinks is the most important thing for his people? Is that they love him. Let me read a verse. This will bring it all into perspective. Psalm 42, 1. <clears throat> Psalm 42.1, it says, as the heart, the heart there is that, that deer, that, that deer that's running through the woods and he's running, maybe he's running from, from, a, from a, a beast, maybe he's running for his life, but for whatever reason, he's running and he's running and he's running. It says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, he comes to a creek and this, this deer's been running and running and now he's thirsty and he's craving, and he's, listen, his, his, his lungs are heaving, and his tongue's probably hanging out, and he sees that crystal clear water, and boy, he's thirsty. He can smell it, and he desires it, and he wants and he desires that water. David said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so doth my heart pant after you. He said, God, I am thirsty for you. God, I want you. God, I desire you. I want to be where you are. And David said, this one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know what the Bible says about the man David? He was a man after God's own heart. There was something about David. He said, David, David, and said, God, I want you. God, it's not about the stuff you give me. It's not about the place you give me to live. God, I want you. I want your presence. I want you. Oh, God, I desire you. When did we stop wanting him? When did we stop wanting him. Because it's at that place that we stop being able to enjoy our life. That is the beginning of the end. That is where we begin the journey to the point of I hate my life. Because everything you're looking for you're looking for in the wrong place. But guess what? 
Solomon says at the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 12, the very last two verses, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion of when it's all, what it all boils down to, when it's all said and done. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you this right now, and I'm, and I'm done. It's over with. I'm, the last point is there. Just look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Are you happy? Are, are you happy? Are you living a fulfilled, satisfied life? I ate lunch yesterday. <clears throat> I ate lunch yesterday with a, uh, a birthday party. <clears throat> and uh, it was catered in from Dreamland Ribs. I just feel a little anointing on that right there. I feel a little anointing. I said, Preacher, what did you do? I stayed till I was satisfied. What do, you, what do you mean? That means I didn't want no more. I had all I could take. I was satisfied. Some of you are so hungry right now because you're not satisfied. You're not satisfied with your present relationships. You're not satisfied with your present job situation. You're not, don't let nothing distract you. Stay focused. You're not satisfied with your 401k. You're not satisfied with your bank account. You're just not satisfied. Now, I, I hate that I use so much food illustrations, but it's just what I can relate to. But I don't know about you, but there's no more horrible feeling to know that you're, you, 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 you've run out of food and it, you're still hungry. That you've done ate everything you ordered and there's nothing left on the plate yet you're still hungry. So many Christians are unfulfilled because they're chasing everything but Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things, all these things. What things, preacher? All these things you're trying to be fulfilled with? All these things that this world is marketing and telling you got to have? And it starts at a very young age. You know, McDonald's will tell you it's a happy meal. They're marketing the fact that if your youngin will eat this, he will become happy. And you know this world is masters at marketing to people? And so is the devil? When if the truth be known, if we just all get real right, right now, if we just all get real, 
The only thing that's going to bring fulfillment is Him. Not what He gives, but Him. I was sitting over here. I was sitting over here when we was we were singing those songs earlier. And boy, I felt Him. I felt something that stuff can't give you. Preacher, what are you saying? It says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Guys, I want to challenge you. As every head's bowed and every eye closed. I want to challenge you to find a place in this altar and turn things around. And say, I'm going to quit chasing stuff and I'm going to start chasing him. I'm going to quit looking at, at the stuff in my life to bring me fulfillment and joy. And I'm coming to him. I mean, I wouldn't even wait. I'm telling you, I wouldn't even wait for the music to start playing. I'd find a place in this altar, and I'd say, God, I want to be satisfied again. I want to have joy again. I want to have happiness again. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 says, This I have found is at the hand of God. It's at the hand of God. That's it. Come on. Don't even wait. Don't even wait. Come on. Come talk to God. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. Come on. Come tell Him. Come tell Him. It's not in stuff. It's not in people. It's not in boyfriends. It's not in girlfriends. It's not in...